0: You are listening to the Follow series on 1 Peter from Holy Cross Presbyterian Church in Stanton, Virginia. 1 Peter is a letter written to Christians struggling to follow after Jesus in a world in which they increasingly see themselves as strangers. It is both instruction how and an encouragement to live in the world in relationships, vocations, communities, and the church out of an identity formed by the transforming and perfect work of Jesus Christ. If you don't have a Bible with you, the text is printed for you in your order of worship. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we've got one on the back table I want to give you. Um, however you have the passage in front of you, it's going to be important for you this morning to have it in front of you as we, as we walk through it. This summer at Holy Cross, we've been traveling through the book of 1 Peter, we said that at the beginning of our service, but we've been doing so, asking the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus in the world? And this letter is particularly helpful there because that's the entire purpose of it. That was the whole purpose that, that, um, that Peter wrote it for 2,000 years ago. And what we've seen is that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is about knowing Christ and about showing Him. About knowing Jesus in an intimate way um, and as, as not just a, an idea but a, a person. And the only hope to reconcile us to God and also to show Him to the world through word and deed, and to do so growing day by day through, through what we like to call here gospel renewal, which just means believing, repenting and believing again. We'll get to more of that later. This morning, uh, Peter brings us to the fact that being a follower of Jesus will involve not just some kind of like um, ethereal following of someone up in the ether, you know. It, it involves also following others. But in a culture like ours, where suspicion of authority is a virtue, it, it's considered normal, more than normal. It's considered we hold those folks up on a pedestal. How will we work out such a thing? Or is it even something reasonable to expect? What does it look like to follow leaders or to be one? That's what we ask this morning of God's Word as we come to it. First Peter chapter 5. So if you have your place in the Scriptures, if you'd stand in honor of God's Word, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 5 of chapter 5 as we do so. Recess. Wow, school's in session. Okay, well, as we do this, uh, let, me, let me remind us that as we come before God's Word, we come before something that lays claim on us. It is not something we chose. It is something that chooses and lays claim on us. So let's hear it in that way this morning. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word, friends, and is given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come before you during this time, strange time uh, unique amongst our experiences as a culture Um, we, we ask that you would preach your gospel to us, that you'd speak to us as we prayed as we sang because if you don't, we're lost we need to hear from you again so we ask that you'd soften our hearts open our ears so that we might hear and we ask it all in Christ's name, amen have a seat I have four kids and though we don't often partake in this game we have before, one of the easiest games to play with children is uh, Simon Says, right? You all know the game? The leader calls out certain actions for the rest to mimic that are only to be done if the phrase Simon precedes it. Uh, okay, I know. I know. I just made the game so sound so academic and boring. Happy you fell asleep. But the, the whole point is this. The whole point of the game is that you're supposed to, to listen closely. As a matter of fact, most of us think that the game is based on the notion that the leader is trying to misdirect you, right? Trying to catch you not listening so that you're out. I mention this because this is how most of us feel about leaders. At the end of the day, we think the leaders are trying to trick us, misdirect us, to mislead us, uh, perhaps to, to use us to show how great they are. Some of us have really good reason to think this, don't we? Others of us think we have really good reason to think this, and some of us don't have good reason at all. But what Peter does for us this morning is he lays out instruction to these leaders in the church that should shape how we view leaders, how we view leadership, and how to follow Christ by following those that he calls to lead us. Now, there's an outline in your bulletin if that's helpful. We're going to look at this text in three ways this morning. We're going to look at uh, definitions and duties. We're going to look at qualities and character. And finally, we're going to look at leading and following. Okay? All right, let's get started. We got a lot to do. Let's start by looking at what an elder is. Looking at verse 1. Peter says this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that's about to be revealed. Now, stop there. Now, if you've been here at Holy Cross throughout the summer, you know that Peter's been pretty consistently talking to the whole church, and now here he's very clearly making a turn, right? And he's talking specifically to this, this uh, group of people that he calls elders. But there's an assumption there that we need to address, right? Because what he seems to assume is both that, that whoever these elders are, they exist, and that everyone would know who they are. And That's because the office of elder didn't begin in the New Testament. Now, there is this idea, and some of you may have heard this, especially if you took um, Bible classes in college. There is this idea that... that um, the earliest church was this kind of, kind of loosey-goosey, free-flowing, um, structureless utopia where there was no such thing as hierarchy, no authority outside of kind of the mutual authority of everyone. This big round table, you know, we're all sitting around, uh, and that, and, and that all this talk of elders and leaders is actually a sign that this book is, this letter of First Peter is really, really late in the life of the church. And that what this is is something that came later as, as things began to establish it as an organization, as people began to grab power. Okay? Now, that idea fits really well with the values of the 60s, but it has no biblical support. So um, here's, here's what we do see. The idea of elders goes back to the Old Testament, because the Old Testament, especially as, as um, God's people are coming out of Egypt, right? they're coming out in Exodus. Moses um, and Aaron are really the only leaders that, that Israel has at this time, and brother's got a whole nation to care for, and he can't do it. He's basically overworking himself. And his his father in law Jethro comes to him and says, "What are you doing, brother? He's like you can't do this. Here's what here's a, here's an idea. Like gather, um, have all these different clans and households pick out for themselves the the wisest among them, and we'll have this group of elders. Okay, and that's what happens. Okay, we we have in in. The Exodus generation, this office of elder that continues throughout the Old Testament. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, um, or at points where Moses is alive, he is called the shepherd of Israel, which would make these elders all under him, under shepherds, which we'll get to in a minute. Just keep that log in the back of your head. And every Jewish synagogue during Peter's day would have had elders. And we know from the book of Acts and Paul's letters that appointing elders was part of, part of what it meant to plant new churches. In other words, churches were not just gatherings of individuals kind of just free-floating gatherings of people coming together. They were, instead, an established group with leadership. And so when Peter's audience heard elder, they would have known. They would have have thought of the guys sitting in front of them. Now, the thing is, is that in Peter's day, and in the church that he's writing to, one, he's, he's writing to churches throughout what we call Turkey, okay, in a bunch of cities throughout Turkey. And within those cities, those churches would have met in various locations throughout the city and had elders in all of those little, what, what we would call households, but they're bigger than the kind of nuclear family. And so they would have identified these guys. They were appointed, trained by whoever planted the church. Now, here's the thing. Peter is identifying with these guys, right? That's what he says when he talks about being a, a fellow elder. Uh, but more than that, that in the original, that word fellow, that word um, with, uh, actually communicates to all of the things that he's talking about. So in other words, the way that it, that it lays out, it should be something like this. He, he says, we are all fellow elders, fellow witnesses to Christ's sufferings, and fellow sharers in the glory that's coming. Now, listen close, because this is important. We, we already get the sense, okay, Peter's an elder, we get that. What does it mean that everyone is a witness? Uh of the sufferings of Christ. Well, what it doesn't mean is that every elder that's there actually saw Jesus suffer. But if you remember, neither did Peter, did he? He beat it. He ran away. He wasn't there at the foot of the cross. John was. Some of the women. Not Peter. Peter didn't witness those things. The word witness doesn't necessarily mean eyewitness. It means one who testifies about In other words, what Peter is saying is that elders, one of the things that they are, are those that tell the story of Jesus to others. Okay? But they are also fellow sharers in the glory to be revealed. Now, that sounds really weird to us, but here's what it means. The Bible teaches that though the world is currently broken, and I don't think I have to argue that. I'm pretty sure all of us get that, right? You look out your door, you know things aren't the way they should be. Though it's it's currently that way, it's not always going to be like that. The evil and suffering and pain and futility and alienation from each other and God that we see in the world isn't always going to be here. One day, God is going to come and he's going to set the world to rights. Basically, like, that's the entire story of the Bible. God's plan and execution to set the world right after Genesis 3. And the New Testament teaches that the decisive act of this, the one time, of like, okay, it is, it, the, the work is done, now it's, now it's just working it out, that that act was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, that said, obviously, because we live 2,000 years after that, and we can still look out our doors and see that things aren't right, there's more coming, a fullness, a consummation. And so to have a part in that would mean to be a sharer in the coming glory. That's what Peter means when he says that. And so here's the thing. The New Testament is also clear that not everyone distributively throughout, all the, uh, throughout the planet will be a sharer in that glory. But only those who place their faith in Jesus. So what Peter is highlighting here is that el- elders are fellow sharers. Just like every other Christian, of that reality. In other words, they're not some kind of different breed of Christian. Some different breed of human. They are just as much in need of Jesus as everyone else is. Okay? But one thing more in verse 4 that we could easily skip over. Peter talks about the chief shepherd, right? Um, He talks about the chief shepherd, and then we get caught up in this whole crown of glory thing. And if you have questions, come and ask me. We don't have time to go into that. But when he talks about this chief shepherd, we, we'll get to this idea of shepherding in a minute and what it means, but the important thing is that Peter implies a pecking order here, right? There's a, con- there's, there's a pecking order. There's a chief shepherd, and then there's all these other guys. Uh, from the context, the chief shepherd isn't like a really super Christian, like some dude with a big hat, okay? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Hey, let me paint the picture for you. Let's say... Let's say, for some reason, you're a shepherd and, and you have a massive flock. I mean, a massive flock. Such that to see them get anywhere it's going to take more than one. It's going to take multiple shepherds to see them get to where they need to go. Somebody in that group had best be in charge. We'll call him the chief shepherd. Let's call him that, right? The head guy. And the head guy's job is to direct everybody. The under shepherds, the guys under them, their job... Is to stay close to the chief shepherd. That's their whole point, because if they don't, if they go off on their own, the flock is going to splinter and be vulnerable. And so Peter is implying here that there are under shepherds called elders who are staying with, who are following the chief shepherd Jesus. Matter of fact, it's like a prerequisite. Okay, now. Let's look at what an elder does. Look down at verse 2. Peter says this Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Now, stop there. What is this talking about? Okay. Peter's using a metaphor, right? Of of shepherding and sheep. And the job of a shepherd is to care for the sheep, to lead them, and to protect them. And this is a metaphor the Bible uses all the time. And we kind of gloss over it because we think, isn't that so cute? It's a shepherd. He's got a little sheep on his shoulders, and he's running around and that it's so sweet. But but if you lived in a kind of more pastoral context where like everyone shepherds and, and someone stands up and calls you a sheep, that ain't gonna be cute. You're not thinking, Oh, that's sweet. You're thinking, excuse me. Why? Sheep are sheep are dumb. They're dumb. I mean, you've probably heard stories, right? How a sheep can't write itself. Rolls over and its back can't get itself back up. How sheep will march themselves really happily right into the middle of a hole that's like four times as high as they are, kill themselves. How they'll eat whatever's in front of them, no matter what it is, even if it will kill them. How, in fact, they, they'll continue eating and eating and eating if you don't move them until their stomachs explode. That's us. That's the metaphor, right? Isn't that cute? That's so cute. Oh, and and sheep have a habit of biting those who are trying to take care of them. Yeah. Cute. Okay. Um, Friends, that is how the Bible, that is how God talks about us. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Here's why the Bible talks about us that way. Because the Scriptures say that we were created with great dignity to be in a dependent relationship with God to be in a loving, dependent relationship with God. But we didn't like that. We were tricked into believing that if we just ate this fruit, we could actually not be in dependent relationship with Him anymore. We could be independent of Him. We could be like Him. We could, in fact, define reality for ourselves. I get to decide what's good and what's right and what's not. And so we turned from Him and betrayed Him. We sought our own way. And the Bible calls that betrayal sin. Okay, now I just said that all right all right lunchtime uh, so the bible calls that betrayal sin and in saying that i know that there are many of us in this room who have kind of just kind of zoned out for either because we think we know what that word means or because we knew the preacher was going to say it at some point right stay with me because most of us think that sin is primarily about breaking a rule but it's not it's not primarily that at all does it include that well sure but it's primarily about breaking a heart. It's primarily about breaking a relationship. And that's what we did. We betrayed God. And when we did that, everything changed for us. Because we betrayed God. Uh, of course there was guilt, right? There's always guilt when you talk about betrayal. But we also became corrupt. And what I mean by that is the Bible says that humanity became turned in on itself such that though we were made for dependence on God, we actively seek dependence on pretty much anything else. Okay? Pretty much anything else. In other words, because of our sin, we are like sheep who will eat whatever is in front of us thinking that we know what is best when we don't. Okay? Here's the thing, though. The Bible also teaches that God wasn't satisfied with that. And the entire story of the Old Testament is God working out the promise to make things right. To gather His flocks, flock and restore them to Himself. And that is where our reading came from Ezekiel today. You heard Laura reading it earlier, from Ezekiel 34, that God says, I'm going to come because no one else can shepherd my people the way they need it, I will come and do it. I will come and do it myself. We can't restore ourselves to God. We can't do it. Think about it. How can you independently return to dependence? It can't be done. It can't be done. God has to shepherd us. And that is what Christians believe happened in Jesus. Something that was mentioned multiple times in the life of Jesus, how he looked out on crowds and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep with no shepherd. They were like sheep with no shepherd. And then in John's Gospel, Jesus even calls himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came to live that perfect life we couldn't and then die to answer for the guilt of our betrayal of God. He came to be our shepherd, to restore us to dependent relationship on God. The kind of relationship we were created to be in. Now, here's what this has to do with this passage. It's the language of shepherding and exercising oversight or guarding. Um, I don't know if you noticed that. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. That's what the ESV says. That is the exact same phrase that is used at the beginning of our passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, 11. God says, I'm going to come and shepherd and guard. Some of the translations say uh, seek out, but it's the same word, my sheep. In other words, Peter is saying the elders are God's means of leading His redeemed people just like He promised in Ezekiel. Now, that's definition and duties. Let's talk about qualities and characters. Look at verses 2 and 3. Because Peter lays out three contrasts. Three, not this, but this kind of statements. Okay? We need to understand these. First, elders are to shepherd, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, um, leaders in in God's church are, are meant to make a choice to lead, not to be forced to do so. Okay? They're to offer themselves for the task, not to be coerced into it. Secondly, they're not to, not to, um, not to shepherd out of greed, but eagerly. Now that doesn't make any sense to us, right? Like greed? Eagerly. Most people are eager for what greed brings. So what, what is that, how does that work? That, that word eagerly is the same word that's used in, in the ancient world of benefactors of cities who enthusiastically use their time and money for the benefit of the city. In other words, what, what Peter is saying in this is saying, don't do it to get, but out of a desire and eagerness to give. And last he says, um, not lording it over, but as examples. Now that phrase, lording it over, sounds a little weird to us. What it literally means is to use your authority against another, literally against the ones that you're trying to lead. What it would look like is using others to advantage yourself. And instead, Peter says to be an example. Now, again, sometimes our, our translations can fail us, and I think at this point it does, because the word "this example, it, that's a fine translation. But the, the word is also used to talk about how different pictures in the Old Testament, different figures in the Old Testament are pictures of Jesus. It's the word type. And so what Peter is saying is not just be an example instead of lording it over He's talking about, um, don't use your authority for your advantage, but instead be a picture of Jesus. Peter calls, all, uh, calls the elders to all three of these things, because all three of these things image Christ. They all image Jesus. Listen, the Bible says that Jesus is God, that he existed from all eternity as the second person of the Trinity, Right? And maybe that's new to you, like, the Christian conception of God is um, three persons in one God. I know it's a little confusing, like, three in one, that math doesn't add up, I know, and I'm, you, know, you should see me try and explain it to my five-year-old. Like, it doesn't, the, the point is, like, that, that's the Christian conception of God. And Jesus is the second person of that, God the Son. But in, in order to save us, to redeem us, he put aside and willing, put aside kind of the glory that he was due, willingly chose to take a human nature, to give himself for us and to use his power and authority to serve instead of to his advantage you see that he chose to do it he gave instead of getting and he used his power to serve instead of to be served friends jesus is the center of christianity i don't know what you've been taught i don't, I don't like i know all of us have different conceptions of what christianity is it's a, it's a moral system it's a it's a um, just this a social club, you know, we, we have all these different things. Jesus is the center of it. Everything about Christianity rises or falls on him. It's not about morality. It's not about a code. Listen, I know that most of the world religions, if not all of them, are like that, right? You can remove the leader from that group. From Look, you can remove Buddha from Buddhism. You could even remove Muhammad from Islam. What's important is their teachings, not the person. If you lose Jesus and Christianity, you've lost it all try and keep his teachings. Good luck. I can't. Free admittance. Can't. No no chance. It's about a person. And the leaders of Christ's church are to follow after that person making the same choices he did. Okay? But then Peter talks about following. Look at verse 5. This is where some of us get a little hung up. Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Now, Like I said at the beginning, Peter has been talking to the elders, he's been talking to this kind of select group, this smaller group within the church, and now he kind of turns again to everybody, younger folks, uh, which doesn't just mean younger age-wise, it literally just means everyone else, okay? Everyone else. The important thing to see in this is the likewise, right? It's the very first word in that verse, likewise. Well, like what? Strangely enough, like the elders, But most of us get hung up there because we're like, wait a minute. But we were told, like, the younger are told to submit to the elders. How are we to do that likewise? How are they submitting? (laughs) Friends, elders in Jesus' church give up their preferences and their prerogatives and place them willingly beneath those of their flock. Or at least they should. That's what Peter is talking about. However, Peter still says to submit yourselves. Now, that is foul language in our culture. That's like a four-letter word, except it's six. But you know what I, what I mean. What Peter is saying is that you and I are to place ourselves, and I, I do mean you and I, right? There's no one, there's no one in the church who is not under authority. Nobody. Nobody. Okay? I've got guys that I'm under authority. They are. We are mutually in submission to one another. We are all under authority. And Peter says that you and I are to place ourselves into submission to others, to, to the leaders that God places over us to lead us, and we are to do so in humility. Now, we hear humility, and what we normally think is this kind of false humility that kind of says, no, no, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, but keep praising me. But I'm really good. Like, Okay, for us, humility is at least still, to some extent in our culture, though we're really ambivalent about this, still seen as kind of a virtue. Now, when I say ambivalent, I mean... We have this thing with humility, and then we have our star culture, right? You go in the grocery line, and there are people who are famous in there for being famous. They don't do anything. They just, for some reason, everyone wants to know about them, okay? So we like humility, but we we love celebrity. In, In Peter's day, when he's writing this letter, humility was considered less than a weakness. That's like something slaves are supposed to be. You know... The entire culture, the entire Greco-Roman culture was built, built on raising yourself up, making yourself great. And here is Peter saying that instead, you need to be humble. Why should we have humility? Frankly, because we're being honest about ourselves. Listen to me. You and I know this, right? We like to think that we see things rightly, that we really understand reality, and that our choices are always pretty good. I mean, we're not perfect, but we, we make pretty good choices. But in reality, the Bible is pretty clear that we have these huge things. They're called blind spots. You know what I mean? Like when you're driving, you got your blind But I mean, like, huge things called blind spots. Friends, we are sheep. We need accountability. We need boundaries. Me no less than you, per- perhaps more. I mean, look, look. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 16 says that God has set the boundary lines for me in pleasant places. I mean, I'm made for these things, and they are good for me, and I'm happy for them. We need it. And it is only pride that says that we can do life beholden to no one. Pride that will eventually lead us to eating until our stomachs explode. Okay. Now, I'd like to try and apply this as best we can this morning, um, talking about leading and following. Let's be honest, right? There's a lot of cultural baggage that comes up when we talk about authority. The air we breathe as a culture is about individual autonomy, suspicion of authority, refusal of responsibility, and a fear of something called power. We're not sure what that is. Matter of fact, we can turn and call it whatever we want. But basically, anything we don't like is about power, but it's the word that we hate. And this is no different in the church. It's no different here. Some of us here deal with with this by expecting way too much out of leaders and elders in particular. What I mean is this. Some of us in this room expect our leadership, our elders, to be perfect. To never fail our expectations. To always be there. Now, for some of us, that is because we have a very difficult time trusting Jesus. And what we really need is someone we can grab and say, I'm putting my trust in you. Oh, really in Jesus, but you. Okay? We want a person standing in front of us to keep us safe and to make our world right. Not some of us, but for others of us. We expect too much of our elders simply because we then want to use the fact that they can never meet those expectations as justification for us. I don't have to listen to him, hypocrite. He says he's this, but he's not. He's nothing like what he should be. Or we then just justify our sin by seeing their imperfections. But here's the funny thing. If elders were perfect, if I were perfect, then you all would be in this place. Not a single one of you. And neither would I if I were in your shoes. Why? would be terrifying. There's a perfect person talking to me. Can't relate to me. Doesn't know where I am and what I struggle with. Nothing. We would hate it. Or we would just use that perfection to justify our sin because they couldn't relate to us anyway. Okay? So that's those of us who think or expect too much, but others of us expect too little of elders because we don't want to think we actually need boundaries in leadership. So they're basically like, yeah, 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 those chumps over there, I don't really need to listen to them, but it's pretty good, I mean, I guess it's okay that they're here, I mean, they watch the numbers and get stressed out when things go bad, so, you know, but I don't really need them, right? Because we expect that we should be able to, to, to live without those senses of boundaries, and so why expect anything of these people, Okay. Now the same is true of leaders and elders themselves, right? Because some of you, and there are a few of you in this room right now, you know the struggle that it is to believe that you can actually save people. That when people when people are struggling, that you should be able to fix it. You know it because they put it on you, and you know it because you have it in your own heart. And you're terrified of the fact that you can't come through for them. And sometimes we expect that quite frankly, looking at ourselves, we expect too little because we expect no one should have to listen to anything we have to say. If they really knew who we were. Friends, the gospel, though, frees us both to follow and to lead. Here's what I mean. Believing the gospel allows us to actually expect more of our elders because it tells us that we are broken. That you and I are hopelessly broken. And in deep need for the grace that God gives to the church. But it also frees us to expect less of them because it keeps us from expecting any leader, whether it's a church leader, a political leader, or a family leader, whatever. It, it keeps us from expecting any leader to be able to save us. They can't. They can't. Only Jesus can make the world right. Only Jesus, not me or any other pastor or elder or Bible teacher or whoever. Don't place your faith in them. Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. I I need all of you to look at me. I will fail you. If I have not already, I will. Many of you are smiling because I know. Yeah, I know, right? Like last week, yeah. Okay? I will fail you. The elders will fail you. Sometimes that will be because we failed valid expectations, and sometimes it will be because your expectations are unrealistic. But we will fail you. But if you will only follow people who will never fail you, you will never follow anyone, including yourself. Trust in Christ, friends. Elders and other leaders, uh, listen. The gospel frees you and me as well to lead. Guess what? We are not people's saviors no matter how much they might want us to be or how much we might want to be only Jesus is and that frees us and when i say when i say elders and leaders listen to me like this is particularly to elders but this is no different if you are a small group leader if you are a sunday school leader like this is true of all of us okay this frees us from the horrible burden to be what we were never made to be and it also frees you to actually be what peter calls us to be because you can willingly give yourself for others you Only if you believe that Jesus has done so for you. Because if not, you will always work under the compulsion to gain something, whether it is a reputation or what, and you will use others to that end. So long as you are entrapped to your own need to be the Savior of others, you will never be free to do what Peter asks us. We must follow Jesus if we want others to follow us, okay? Now lastly, I want to say just a couple, of, a couple of ways we can do this, believing the gospel. In this church, we have four elders. Myself, Jason, Dan, and Jeremy. Jeremy's on sabbatical right now. He's still an elder, okay? But we have lots of leaders. We have lots of leaders. Many of you are leaders in this church. What we need to see is that this has as much to say about Christian leadership as it does eldership. And Leaders, at the end of the day, the most important thing you can do for those you lead, whether that is your small group, or a children's Sunday school class or the whole church is to follow the chief shepherd. You cannot be one who testifies to the sufferings of Christ. In other words, you cannot be one who tells the Gospel to others if you aren't steeped in the Gospel. You cannot shepherd God's flock if you aren't being shepherded by God. And you cannot lead others to Jesus if you aren't connected to Jesus. And I don't just mean intellectually. I know many of us in this room... Look, this is a Presbyterian Reformed church. Like, half the people in this room know more about books than they do about people. Okay? So, look, that's the reality. I'm not talking intellectually. I know y'all can answer the questions. I know y'all can answer the questions. What I'm talking about is experientially. Relationally. Now, I know that it... Look, the intellectual stuff's important. Don't get me wrong. I am a pastor here for a reason. Okay? But people can smell a phony a mile away. A mile away. If you intend to lead, you have got to walk with Jesus. Now, that's leading. The key to following is what he says there in verse 5. It's that aspect of humility. Listen, when we talk about the word submission, when we talk about that word submission, whether it's in the church or the family, our immediate response is questioning the limits of that, right? Isn't it? Well, what if he does this? Or what if this person asks me to do this? Or what if, what if uh, the Holy Spirit's leading me this way? We want to know, what are my outs, right? Now, look, those are, those are valid questions. Those are good, fine. They're fine questions. We can talk about those. But let me suggest that most of the time when you and I ask that, it's because we really don't want to listen to what anyone else has to say, and what we're really looking for is how we don't have to listen at all. Tell me the limits, and then I can always fit what's being told to me within one of those, right? We ask those to avoid having to listen to others, but here's the deal, and here's why. I mean, look, some of us have deep wounds, Some of us have deep wounds perpetrated by men who should have led like Jesus, and instead they led like Caesar. You will do it my way, or you will leave. That is very real, and I am sorry for that. I grieve with you, and I am angry for you. But that is why we are so particular in this church especially about the character of elders. Leadership is not about tenure. Well, this guy's been here a long time, you know. I mean, he's been here since the beginning. Shouldn't he be a leader? No. No. Leadership is about gifting and responsibility. One day, you may not know this, this is real, okay? One day your elders, whether you're in this church or a different church, one day your elders will have to stand before God and give an account to him for how he led you. He will give an account. The book of Hebrews says they give account for your soul. (laughs) Sit on that for a little while. That is terrifying. Y'all are crazy. I don't want to have to give an account. That's not true. I love you. Okay. (laughs) Um, In light of that, in light of that reality, I would suggest a couple of things that we can draw from this text about being led. First, we need to understand the language that God uses to talk about elders. Remember, I said earlier that the language He uses, saying "shepherd" and "guard," or "shepherd" and "protect," or, or "this is um, shepherd" and exercising oversight—that is the same language that's used of God in Exodus thirty-four, eleven. Okay, we need to understand that because that means that God is describing the way He cares for His people and he's doing it through these men. If nothing else, that means that you and I need to give our elders the benefit of the doubt. Okay, Sometimes your elders are dead wrong. Sometimes we are. And sometimes our sin is wrapped up in what is going on. But not all the time. Okay, If God says he leads through the elders, our first expectation should be that that is what is going on. Not that these guys are just out to get me. Trust me, we're not out to get you. Second, if you, if you do disagree with a decision or with a doctrine, do so with humility. What do I mean by that? Take the posture of a learner. That's what humility really is, being willing to take the posture of a learner. Because in many cases... A willingness to learn or to understand may in fact melt away the disagreement that was there. Okay? Now let me conclude. We're getting restless. The funny thing about the game, Simon says, is that we often forget who exactly is competing. Right? We think that the game is between the person who's calling out Simon Says Do This, Simon Says Do This, and then everyone else. But it's not. The game is between the followers, not the leader. Not the leader, because the last one out, the last one who's not out, they win. Well, how can they win? If they, because they're not competing with the leader. They're competing with the other followers. The leader's job is simply to lead the others to see who is listening and who isn't. Friends, God has placed leaders over us, over all of us, under our great King Jesus. Not to destroy us, not to compete with us. Just to lead us in this game that God calls life. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come and hear your gospel again, we ask that you would drive it deep into our souls. Some of my friends here need to hear it again. Some of my friends here are hearing it for the first time. We all need desperately to hear from you, no matter where we are, especially the one who's praying right now. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to impress these things, dig them down into our souls, and as we respond through the sacraments and through our worship, would you let it be pleasing to you by the power of the Holy Spirit through your eternal Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and King, in whose name we pray. Amen.